We've all seen the incredible horse and rider combinations as the backbone of our sport. But what about everything else that makes the equestrian world tick? From the everyday grind to the world-class professional, join the Equestrian Podcast as we talk about every equestrian discipline in a way that hasn't been done before. Now here's your host, rider, trainer, and influencer behind my equestrian style, Bethany Lee. Hey friends, and welcome to the Equestrian Podcast. I'm your host, Bethany Lee, and this is episode 222. We have an incredible Irish show jumper on the podcast today. He has competed in three Olympic Games, two World Championships, six European Championships, and he has represented Ireland over 128 times. He won individual bronze at the London Olympics in 2012, and he was a member of the Irish team that took gold at the European Championships in 2017, and he was seventh individually at the Tokyo Olympics last year. He has an incredible program where he goes between Ireland and Wellington, and while he is very focused on his career as a rider, he has equally as much focus on his students and his program. He is such a forward thinker, which I think is so important to continue to bring awareness and growth to our sport, so I was so excited to have him on to hear more. So without further ado, I would love to welcome our guest today, Kian O'Connor. Yes, thank you so much for taking the time. I know you're a busy guy, so I appreciate it. No problem at all. Happy to do it. Yeah, amazing. Well, I would love to hear how you first kind of found yourself in the equestrian world. Uh, I suppose in Ireland, most young kids grow up riding. There's horses are very accessible. And my father rode as a hobby. And uh, I started, I suppose, with him when I was around 15 years old. And got into it, you know, just going on basically beach rides or riding out in the fields and that kind of thing. And then from there, doing doing local local small competitions. Uh, and I suppose you, once you get into it, it's something you you get the bug and it just grabs you, like everybody knows. So as you were growing up riding, at what point were you like, man, I feel like this could be a big part of the rest of my life. This could be my career going forward. I suppose I was probably about seventeen and just doing local, very small competitions. And I enjoyed the competitive side of it. Um, I finished my, my, my final year at school when I was 18. And my mom wanted me to go to university. And I just pleaded with her, could I take a year out? And in that year out, I rented a stable and uh, started to teach some, some local people and, and, and just got into, I suppose, the buying and selling was always something I was interested in as well. So I think when my mom saw that I could, you know, it could, I could, could do it really as a sustainable business. She didn't bother me about, about going back after the year out. So it all worked out. So you're still on that year gap. Exactly. <laughs> Love it. That's amazing. Tell me a little bit about what ended up, you know, obviously you're competing and, and doing more and more in Ireland. At what point did you start traveling? Yeah, I suppose in, you know, we have good national circuit in Ireland, so we can bring horses up to one meter 50 level very well. And then if you want to jump internationally, you have to go abroad. And uh, when I was 17, I jumped the, the junior European championships and then young rider Europeans. And I, I think I was very lucky, Bethany. I had, I had good help. Um, my godfather, Tony O'Reilly, uh, helped me with the backing of horses. I was very fortunate to meet Jerry Mullins early on. And he was at a stage in his career where he was just starting to slow down and do more coaching. And he was really a great mentor and still is to me. And... Uh, through, through that kind of support, I had the, the, op- the opportunity to travel, to have nice horses and get good coaching. And I suppose at that, at that age, if you can have a good basics, it really stands to you later on. 
So um, I did that kind of stepping stone, juniors, young riders, and then onto the 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 B team or C team of the of the of the the Irish team, and then worked my way up. And uh, I've been very lucky again. With over the last twenty years, I've been I've been a fairly consistent member of the Irish team, and I've had some great horses. I mean, you can't do this without wonderful horses, and uh, I've had a few across my path, which has been fantastic. Amazing. Tell me a little bit about. Carlswood and a little bit about your experience with your property. Yeah, so it's something that I've wanted to do for some time is create a center of excellence. A lot of people might ask, oh, why, didn't, why did I do it in Ireland? Why not do it abroad? For us, home is home. For myself, my wife Ruth wanted to do something uh, in Ireland. Our, our home is 20 minutes from Dublin. And uh, we've got two young kids, Ben and Cara, and they're growing up. They love the ponies and they enjoy it. So it was my idea to build a training center where we could develop horses. Uh, also, we're building a new student barn where we're hoping that the students will come maybe to universities in Ireland and then want to train with us uh, and we help them achieve their equestrian goals. So Carlswood is kind of a lot of dreams and hard work over 20 years. We, we, we completed it about 18 months ago and it's something we're very proud of. It's, it's, it's right beside our home. It has all modern facilities, and uh, it's a place where I look forward to going to. It's, it's, it's been great here in Wellington for the couple of months, and I've enjoyed it, but I, I have to admit I'm looking forward to getting back to Carlswood next week. Love it. As you kind of do the, the back and forth thing, tell me a little bit about how your you know, equestrian life, the horse's life, the competition differs between the two locations. Yeah, it's, 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 it's different here. I mean, what's very nice about Wellington is that you're all in one place for so long. That has huge positives. We can come with a lot of horses, uh, students, uh, so many different arenas, so many different competitions, and you can have a base. For us, it's a home from home. Uh, my two kids go to school here. Uh, Ruth enjoys it. The weather is good. So from the opportunity to be to be in one place, to be together as a family, and from business point of view, to be able to coach clients, develop some horses, trade in some horses and compete at a high level. It really takes a lot of boxes. I suppose the real, real competitive sport is, is still in Europe. And, you know, if you want to go to world championships or Olympic games, you know, the, the, the European tour where you move around to different shows is probably a little bit more realistic. Sometimes horses get very comfortable in the same arena here. And uh, maybe you could get some results that might be different should you just turn up at a show in Europe and you've got one day to warm up and then you're into a big competition. So I think the European circuit and here, that's where they did it. That's where they differ the most. Definitely. And obviously there's the emphasis on the hunters and the equitation as well as the jumpers in, in Wellington. Do you have clients or do you focus on those areas or do you stick to the jumpers? I stick to what I know. I wouldn't have a notion about the hunter. So, uh, <laughs> um, I see it's very popular and uh, an awful lot of work goes in and they do very well. But no, our, our, our focus is on the jumpers. We've had a number of students here this year who have gone well. And it's fun to work with people, Bethany. It's fun to work with people who are passionate and, and enthusiastic and, 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 and who want to win. You know, you put in all the effort and it's nice to get something at the end of the day. With Carlswood being a center of excellence for you, I know you have a big emphasis on horse care. Can you tell me a little bit about that and what you provide and kind of the meaning or I guess the the desire to really keep horse care at the focus in both of your locations? Yeah, it's important for us that, you know, these horses are very hard to find. 
And uh, when you're lucky enough to come across a few good ones, you have to make them last. You really have to take care of them. And it's everything's important from the bedding because that has influence on, on the, the respiratory, any kind, of, any kind of allergies you have to take care of. The hay, therefore, is important. What, the, what, what ground we're working on, that the surface is good. The, the, obviously, the vet's important, but even more so the farrier. You need to have the horse very well balanced and trimmed and shod. And then down to the diet, what food they're on, if they need supplements. We have also, like in Carlswood at home, a spa barn, we call it, where we have a salt therapy room. Uh, a water treadmill and an actual spa so all these all these things are, are there to aid the horse recover uh, to help the horse uh, be in good in a, in, a, in a good order to perform really and uh, as well as turn out in the paddocks and regular hacks around the farms around the around the gallops and around the fields all these things are keeping the horse's well-being both physically and mentally you also have a very large team which i know you've alluded to really gives you know the whole team such a such success for everyone you know big big group of people working together is very successful so tell me a little bit about what you look for as you have grown and built this team yeah we're lucky in that we've got very good staff very good people around us and by having enough people within the team i find that people don't get overworked or overstressed and they might argue and tell you they're working plenty but and they are they are working hard but i think if you if you if you skimp on the staff something's going to is going to give you won't get time to check that horse's leg or put the magnetic blanket on his back or get him out for that extra pick of grass so by having by having enough staff and here in wellington particularly with the fei stables and, and jumping at the stadium and going from the stables to the horse show you need more people than you think because it's very demanding on staff and then obviously people have days off and you need people to cover so i think having having a lot of people um who creates a good team environment People are happy then to, to give maximum output, but then they also support one another and work together. And ultimately the winner are the horses. The horses then get the best care, which is what it's all about. Definitely. And um, I think over the years with our sport getting more and more specialized, it's sometimes hard to find a top rider who is also such a great trainer. And I think that's something that you're definitely known for as being a great coach and um, having a good group of students. Is there specific things that you look for when you are taking on a new student and, you know, or something that the qualities that they have that you know, you know, over the years with your experience has made that student successful? Yeah. I mean, the, the good thing about, about the sport is that, you know, there's always people coming through who want to do well. And if you get a reputation of, you know, giving people your time and, 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 you know, working hard for them, people will come your way. So we've been very fortunate in the, in the students that we've worked with over a long number of years and who have success, people who are still with us have success. And there are people who have been with us for a number of years and, and also went on to have success on their own. So that, that's all very positive. Um, what's hard about, about coaching is that it takes up time. And if you really want to make a positive difference to somebody, you have to put in the effort. You can't right. kind of have 20 students walking around with you and, uh, you know, really help me in a meaningful way. So we tried to keep it exclusive. I have very, very good assistant trainers in Ross Mulholland and Mike Kelly. And so that allows me to, to take on more people and people at different levels. For example, the, the, the Eamon Carlswood 
Uh, obviously, I work very closely with the Watchman boys, Tom and Max. Uh, we're also in partnership with many horses together, and I can see that evolving into a good business structure where, where them and I will be working very closely. And then there are other students who we have who are very ambitious, and you know they'll be based in Ireland as well. And also I help Nikki Walker. She's been on the Canadian team. So we try to support all the students that we have. And maybe not everyone's on the same level or has the same goals or mightn't have the same horses uh, in a particular year. So we try to tailor make everything that suits everyone's needs. Um, but what's difficult, you, you can't upscale what we do to, to by 10 because then everything's diluted and I feel people wouldn't get the success. So um, I find that hard, you know, in, in other businesses, you can, you can do it by multiples, but, but here, if you do that, then you're only kind of coaching everybody mm -hmm. in an average way to, to a certain level. And we want to coach to perform, not really coach to entertain. Right. Absolutely. Uh, how do you work with your students to set specific goals and create a plan? Because on one hand, it can be, you know, like uh, when you're working with horses and creating a plan, that's obviously a case by case scenario. And same goes for students with their goals. But um, have you been able to kind of craft a, a baseline track for your students to follow? Yeah, we, we encourage everyone to have goals and ambitions, but they also must be realistic. And I think at the start of the year, we all do it and every professional probably does it. You pick your target for yourself or your horse or your students or all together and you, you identify that target and work backwards from that. And obviously with horses, things can go wrong. They can lose form or they get an injury or whatever. You have to be able to adapt. But you have to have a plan A. And if you have a plan A that allows you, we would actually go as far as writing it down and and. and uh, everybody would have a copy of it and say here's our goal for the year we're going to aim for that show there even if you have to be selected or whatever we're going to put it down as our main goal and then you work backwards from that with what that needs to build up or when you should be getting results in order to get picked for that eventual goal and uh, that we do quite meticulously and then we try to work towards it and then if we see if we see a, a, I suppose a weakness where we have to train we've got to work on maybe particular rider is not riding the water jump very well and we say okay we've got six weeks we've got to practice that more you have to get more experience doing it and we tried to pick specific areas that might help each rider and uh, and that will help them achieve their goal when they're meant to be good speaking of goals you have competed in several olympic games now world championships european championships what is what's left on your bucket list what goals do you still have for yourself yeah, sure. There's, there's plenty I still want to do, Bethany, and I suppose that's the that's the the struggle a little bit with everybody with all businesses or all walks of life is that life balance and 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 to get that scales uh, in the middle is not easy. Um, I've chosen, I suppose, to build Carlswood, uh, something that Ruth and I own, uh, a very good business where we trade in horses and coach people. Uh, and then we obviously have my family and then I have my sporting career. So I suppose maybe in the last couple of years, although I was still in the top 10 at the Olympic Games in Tokyo, I haven't been as active uh, on the show scene as I might like. But, you know, you're left sometimes when you're in your 20s or mid to late 20s, you can you can just go to the shows and you have you're carefree. You have no you have no uh, other thoughts. But I came to a stage where I really wanted to establish Carl's would establish proper business structure and be able to kind of put some money aside and 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 think about the future think about my family think about the future now that's done i'd like the next five or six years 
to go a little bit more sport orientated again um, because it's very hard to do everything. I mean, you can focus only on sport uh, and all of a sudden when it's all over, you have nothing. You know, you're living in a rented apartment right. or, you, or you, can, you can go the other way and you can go totally on business and cut your sport short. And I don't think I'd be happy with that either because that's why we all do it. We love those big days where we get a buzz and where we enjoy. So it's just to find that balance. And at the moment, I'm probably a little bit less on my own uh, career and writing than I'd like. And that's something I'm going to address now in this year and, and to try and get myself back, uh, you know, in the top 30 in the world, um, winning Grand Prix. I've been able to turn up at the major events. I'm not someone that wants to do 50 shows a year, but I would like to able to go to Aachen and Dublin and some of the Global Champions Tour, the championships, and, and, and really deliver where it matters most. I suppose what's changed a lot in the last couple of years are the prices of top horses. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, what you used to be able to go out and buy a horse with experience and tweak things and put it into a system, and all of a sudden the horse improved and you could jump at a high level. That's getting harder and harder because everyone's looking for the same horse and with increased participation across the globe, really, um, everyone everyone wants a horse and everyone is riding. So it's, uh, it's great that the sport is thriving, but the downside of that is it's harder and harder to find good horses. Definitely. What do you look for when you are trying to get a new horse? I suppose it's different depending on who's riding it. So if I'm looking for a horse for one of the students compared to myself, I might pick a different horse. But generally, um, you want a horse with, with a good brain. Um, the rideability, I suppose, is something that, that while it can be worked on, uh, the better the rideability, the easier the job is as a rider, but also the resale. So if I'm looking for a young horse, I might look for particular things that I'm more strict on. Whereas if I'm buying an older horse who's already doing it and competing and getting results, you know, I might have a bit of leeway. But you're looking for a horse ultimately that's careful. I like a horse with a lot of scope. Um, a horse that gets to the second pole easily. And uh, when you're walking the biggest Grand Prix, you're not worried about the combination or what's coming up. So a scopey horse for me, obviously with a good mind that's careful. And um, it means you can compete the horse at a high level and also the horse has a market when you're finished competing them. I don't know about you, but when I first started my businesses, it can feel super lonely and really overwhelming with all the things that you feel like you have to do, but it doesn't have to be that way. What would it feel like to have all the time in the world set aside to strategize, organize, and actually brainstorm for your business and not just try to catch up on your email inbox? Miranda from Marketing for the Uninhibited has been my business coach for the past year, and she has helped me with just that. Unlock your marketing with her, and she has a new one-on-one marketing intensive, which is four weeks of virtual support. If you need help with stuff like branding, marketing messaging, content strategy, a marketing plan, and specific goals, then this is seriously perfect for you. Miranda has helped me so much with my business, and she made it go from like a side job that I was doing to a multi six-figure business. Miranda will be there to cheer for you, coach you, and support you via text, email, Voxer for the entire four weeks as you execute your custom 30-day marketing plan. Use code Bethany at checkout at marketinguninhibited.com for 10% off your marketing unlocked service. Again, that is marketinguninhibited.com and use code Bethany at checkout. 
I've watched you several times um, in the Grand Prix during this last season in Wellington. How do you, now that, you know, you're working more towards, I mean, you have top riders that are your students as well as working on yourself and finding that balance. How do you, I mean, are you just having to like switch that on and off to then focus on you and your riding and your career? How do you do that? I'm also lucky that the people that I work with respect my goals and want me to have a career. So I'm very lucky. There's nobody yeah. demanding my time, if you know what I mean. If I said I have to jump here or there or or, or I, I couldn't be there at a particular time, everyone understands. I always try to be there and try sure. to work. But it, it comes down, I suppose, to delegation and to having good people. And that's where Ross and Michael really come in as a support in Carlswood. Uh, they're both very capable and Ross would, would know me inside out. He's been with me a long, long time. So he can really step in and, and take over the reins when it's needed, uh, which we've done in the past. If I was jumping a big Nations Cup, uh, I'd, I might focus on that. And maybe we have a client in the same class and he'd focus on them. So it can be very, um, it can be very, it can work very, very well. You said in another interview once that you always look to someone who's doing it better than you. Do you have specific people that you feel like over the years that you have really pulled inspiration from or how they're doing it, how they model their business and, and their, you know, goals and their riding? Yeah, we, we, I mean, as professionals, we often meet and discuss things with each other and, and we all look to each other and, 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 and see what we can learn. Yeah. And I think, I suppose, what, what might suit somebody doesn't suit somebody else or that person mightn't understand because they're not married and they don't have two kids and, and, and they might say, Oh, why are you doing so much coaching? Sure. Why are you much riding? And they don't understand maybe that needs must. I want to create this, this empire that's sustainable long after my riding career. And therefore, you know, as I said, you might have to take a little bit of a step back sometimes, but uh, yeah, you can learn from everybody, right? And you can, you can, you can see different systems and different things. And I, I think that it's important for all of us to be open-minded and, and not ever think we've arrived because uh, there's always somebody coming up behind you and you, equally you can learn from people who have a lot of experience too. Tell me a little bit about your current string of horses. Who do you have? Tell me a little bit about some of their traits in and out of the ring. So my top team of horses at the moment would be Kilkenny, um, Taj Mahal and Saruti. They'd be my, 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 my top three. And what I want to do uh, which I can talk a little bit about later, is I want to take on a top rider to develop young horses. In other words, we have an in-house rider at Carlswood who can bring horses up to the highest level. And those horses then feed into my career and into the career of my students. And that's something I've wanted to do for a while, but it's hard to find the right person to help you with it. Mm-hmm. But the reason I think it's important is that there's such a uh, a lack of people producing horses. There are people producing four, five, and six-year-olds, but I'm more mean about over the next 10 years, I'd love to be in a position to go and buy the 10 best seven, eight, nine-year-olds in the world every year and then bring them into our system and they develop into Grand Prix horses. They come into me, Tom, Max, and the other riders that I work with, and then also we can trade in them as well. This is a huge gap, I feel, in the market because... Uh, Everyone wants to jump. Everyone's competing. But actually, the horse that's being produced, they don't need to be pushed or they don't really need to be going against the clock. They need to be developed into good Grand Prix horses, and then they can come to the riders that need them. And I think although it would be considerable investment in both uh, financial and in time, I think it would be very worth doing over a 10, 15, 20-year period. I think it's something that could work because if you had the best uh, 
10 eight-year-olds or the best 10 nine-year-olds, everybody would have to come to you. And a little bit we've seen it with Hellstrand here in Dressage, that that model has worked. It's definitely harder in show jumping and you need patience and you need time and, and, and plenty of funds. But I think it's, it's, it's something that really I'm very interested in exploring because at the moment, if you want to go out and buy a top nine-year-old, there aren't any. If you want to go out yeah. and buy a horse to go to the world championships this year and you sit down and you go through all the top 100 riders in the world and pick out their top four horses, though some of them aren't for sale, some of them the rider's doing a good job on, and some of them you wouldn't want them. So it, there's nowhere where you can go. If you want to go and buy a new Bentley tomorrow, you can go and you can buy a new Bentley. And and the problem the problem in this game is, you know, it's it's very hard to know, will that horse suit the rider? So there's no shop that you can go to at the moment, I believe, where you can go and just say, I want to go to the World Championships here this mm-hmm. year, get me a nine-year-old. I want to go to the Nations Cup in Aachen. I need a 10-year-old. There's no one doing that. And as I said, Hellstrand is doing it in dressage. And it's my intention over the next number of years to try and do it in jumpers and see if it works. Wow. That, that's an amazing goal. Um, do you have specific places that you like, like different locations that you feel like you've found the most success in finding young horses? I think we, we, we tend to try and buy horses everywhere, which is, which is part of the reason I think why we've had good horses. Like if I take the Grand Prix horses I've had maybe in the last 10, 12 years from, you know, Ran Carrado, came from he was down in Spain actually K Club Lady came from Spain uh, Blue Lloyd was in Norway uh, Good Luck was in Belgium PSG Final was in Germany um, Kilkenny came from Ireland originally that was in Portugal so a, a, a total really not stuck in one place if you're stuck to one to one area th- then you're, you're you know you're closing your mind a little bit so we, we tried to look everywhere and it's not always the horse that are winning are the ones that we need to buy. It can be the horse that's doing a good job and jumping nicely. And at the end of the day, the horses that are easy to ride and can jump big fences are the ones that are worth the, the, mo- the most money because they're the ones everybody can ride. Switching gears a little bit, tell me a little bit about Kilkenny. Let's talk about him a little bit because obviously he was your most recent ride for the Olympic Games. What is he like uh, to prepare? What is he like when you are at home kind of gearing up for a big competition? I think Kilkenny's a wonderful horse. We bought him in November, um, so just about a year and a half now. And he he was doing, I suppose, one meter forty-five level very consistently with a good Portuguese rider. And when I took him into my system, I loved him straight away. He's just got a wonderful brain attitude. Uh, Joanna, who's been working for me for a couple of years now, takes care of him, and she's full time with him, and it's like her baby. And they have a great rapport. Hmm. Uh, he's got a lovely character, lovely attitude. Um, he's, he's a lot of blood, a lot of energy, but at the same time, he's quite simple to ride. Um, unfortunately, he got a knock here early on in circuit in the paddock, would you believe, which kept him out of action for the circuit. But ah. he, he's back in work now, so I look forward to jumping him in the summer in Europe and, and building him up to, to the bigger shows. Love it. Tell me a little bit about your training methodology with the importance of rest for your horses. Yeah, I suppose it comes back to your original question about the planning and the you know, not jumping horses week in, week out. For example, if you take a very good horse that we look after is Burlux, Max Watchman rides him. And um, he we wanted to try and get selected for the Nations Cup here. So he did some classes beforehand. He was double clear in a Grand Prix on the grass where he finished third. Uh, he got selected for the Nations Cup in Wellington on week eight. 
Uh, he was the only double clear for Team Ireland, and we were lucky enough to win that night the Nations Cups. So that was that was great. And then the horse jumped the Grand Prix here yesterday again. Jumped very well, had a fence down. So there's a kind of a, a horse's program for the twelve weeks at Wellington. He only actually jumped four weekends, and I think that's good because. The horse is leaving here fresh, leaving here in good shape, and and so that's what I'm. The, the the amount of classes that they do, just because the classes are on, it's easy to get lured into over jumping and feeling all. You know, week two, week four, week five, you start jumping the horses too much. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we have to remind ourselves there's life, there's life and shows after Wellington as well. This is only the start of the year, so I think it's important to keep that mindset throughout the year as well, and not be dictated to what's on the calendar you have to pick the shows that you should go to that fit you and fit your horse. Put me in day in the life of you, let's say, or actually a week in the life. Let's say you're leading up to a Saturday night class. What does the week look like? Obviously each horse is going to be a little bit different. Let's say for Kilkenny, if you were gearing up for a night class, what would that week look like for the two of you? So normally the, the horse wouldn't jump the weekend before. So you'd start, you'd start, you know, increasing the flat work and making sure the rideability is good the previous mm-hmm. weekend already. Um, making sure everything is good. You have him shod and he's clipped and the horse looks well and everything is healthy. And uh, some horses like Kilkenny, he might do a gymnastic, say a couple of days before he goes into the FEI stable. So maybe on a Sunday already. Uh, Monday is the day off, but I would still ride or come and ride and maybe do some flat work and take him for a hack that he's happy. And then Tuesday, you go to your FEI jog, and then I would ride him over there maybe in the afternoon just to get him settled in the environment there. And um, Wednesday, you probably do a small class. Uh, Thursday, normally the WEF, which is the qualifier. And then Friday would be a bit easier. And the, as you say, the night class on Saturday is normally at 7 o'clock, so you might give him maybe half an hour's work in the afternoon, two o'clock or something, just to make sure he's loose in the body and, and again, riding well. It's a good atmosphere here on a Saturday. Horses tend to up their game and jump well. So uh, it's something it's something really to look forward to and it's, it's something that we certainly love doing. It's one of the highlights here to be able to jump the Grand Prix. Tell me a little bit, I know we, we have touched on several of these topics that would apply, but about an area of the industry that you're very passionate about that you feel like the rest of the equestrian community either just doesn't know a lot about or doesn't talk that much about. It's interesting. I mean, you could, I could go on about that for, for the whole day, but <laughs> no. come back to the, the, the point I was making about, you know, if you're able somehow to have the best horses of each category in one place and create, create a, a shop, if you like, where people could find the best horse, get the best service, and be absolutely happy to to come back. And that's kind of a, a goal I have. And there are stables doing it. Um, but I think they get sidetracked because they start wanting to compete the horses. And for me, production horses and competition horses need to be separated. It's very hard to do both because if you compete a horse – you're using it. In other words, mm-hmm. horses have only so many jumps in their body. And if you're going against the clock or you're, you're, you're turning the screw a little bit and you're saying, come on, today's the day I want to win. Well, if that horse is for sale, you're taking that out of it that somebody else wants to have after they pay for it. So I'd like to create a concept where we produce the best horses in the world. We, we try to buy the best young horses, bring them up the grades and, and, and not be 
not be using them, try to have them that the, the client can come. Imagine a stable where people could come here and we could have everything. I think in America, it's no point to have too young a horse, maybe from seven years old up, but you could have a number of seven, eight, nine, ten-year-old horses. Of course, we could cater for low and medium and junior um, amateur markets as well, but I'm more specifically talking about, imagine that you were able to have the, the, the best horses for the best riders and their students, what they needed in one place. It would be something very unique. And to do that, you need a, an army of staff, you need brilliant riders. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I'm watching the models of other people and seeing what's good about them and also seeing what we could tweak. And uh, it's something I'm very passionate about. It's something that I think could really work well as a business model. And I'm lucky as I'm getting a little bit older, I've, I have my two uh, students uh, who are also very close friends, Tom and Max Watchman. And it's something that we've discussed and we're very, very interested in developing this idea further. And uh, I think I think that's something that we can really build. It's not overnight. It's not going to happen quickly. But I'm going to try it this year um, with, a, with a new rider coming on board at Carlswood. And then uh, we're going to do it slowly and see how it works. Like any business, you have to, it has to make sense. And over, over, over five years, 10, 15 years, try and keep adding to it. But uh, I think if you could imagine a place where you are known for having the best horses in the world, you produce them with this goal in mind and, and, a, and a place where everyone could come and shop, look for the best and get the best. That's something that I would really, really aspire to have. Wow. Yeah, that would be such an incredible thing to have and uh, thing to go to because it's definitely not there currently yeah. it would be it the, i feel like the trickiest thing is going to be figuring out the balance between how much you market them how much you share because i feel like a lot of people want you know some element of you know proven winning ability and so being able to balance that with with showing them the ring and getting them the experience without overshowing them and using them up absolutely i think I think if you have a good nine-year-old and he's double clear in a Grand Prix consistently or mm-hmm. he's, he jumps a lot of clear rounds or he's double clear in Nations Cup, I think that's fine. And people can see, yeah, that's a consistent horse. But if you start galloping, I mean, you see the speed they have to go now in the class, you start really using those horses. That's the part currently when I see trading stables that I don't fully follow. Because once you do that, you're risking injuring the horse and you're taking miles out of the horse. And that should be for the client who you want to buy it for and who, who you hope would buy it. And that's why I think it needs a clear separation. This block of horses are for competing and these ones are for producing and selling. You really, really to try and sell the best horses too. I mean, there's no point in only selling the ones you don't want. It's important to develop enough horses so that you can actually sell the good ones. Because if you sell the good ones, that's what's going to be your advertisement going forward. Absolutely. Yeah, that's a great point. Well, Kian, thank you so much for taking the time and talking with me a little bit about your life and your career and what's to come. It's so exciting. I'm excited to watch your journey and I wish you all the best. Thanks very much. It's been good fun being on. Thank you, Bethany. All right. That is all I have for you today. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you liked what you heard, please take a minute and write a review on iTunes. I would so appreciate it. It helps people like you find the podcast and it helps me get some killer guests. Thank you so much, and I will talk to you next week.